I've decided to channel my impotent rage into something smaller and more personal, which is the fucker outbidding me for the board game I want on eBay. Which board game was it? It's the Guards Guards one. Um, it's the hardest Discworld one to get because it can't be reprinted because of weird right stuff. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, how much was it going for? Well, when I first saw it, it was only at like 25 quid. So I put mm-hmm. bid up to 40 because uh, I normally see it going for like close to 100 or mm-hmm. over. Uh, like the shiny, really good condition ones go for over 100. Yeah. And this looked pretty good condition, not perfect, but I'm going to play it anyway. So I'm not like just yeah, getting yeah. it for collectors. It's not a collectors yeah. Yeah. Um, but it, yeah, they, it went up to over 40. So I tried increasing my bid to 45 and yeah, 46. So someone's obviously put a much higher bid limit on it than I have. And I'm not going to sit there and hop in increments. I don't want it that badly. I wanted yeah. it because it was a steal. We live in hope that one day we'll find it in a car boot sale, but otherwise. We should play the other Discworld board games at some point. We should do that, yeah. I would we'll figure out a way to like live stream it to our poor listeners who don't deserve this. Mm-hmm. I, th- I think YouTube has a reasonable live streaming option now. No, I've said that. I'm not sure I want to live stream a board game because that puts us under quite a lot of pressure to keep playing the fucking board game. <laughs> Look, it cannot be as long, dull and frustrating as some of the board games I've played recently. I don't believe you. It could be. No. Okay. No, it really it really can't, Francine. All right. The alien game I played was so big and I had no idea what was happening and it took like five hours. That is an accurate representation of the video game as well. No, no, not alien as in alien. Oh. Just it was some kind of alien board game where you're stuck on a spaceship and trying to get out. And everyone's got a different wing condition, and I didn't understand it. Hmm. And it I took have five been hours. Listening to the odd episode of RPG games that the people who, uh, what they call Rusty Quill, the ones mm. with the Magnus Archives, they do a lot of gamey stuff and they've released a few on the Magnus Archives feed. And if I'm in the right mood, it's quite interesting to listen to. It absolutely can be. Like, there's a reason Criscal Roll is so massive, but. Uh... Yeah. Oh, dearie me. Um, I don't know what else to talk about that isn't incredibly depressing because we've we've both been reading up on stuff connected to the Sarah Everard case and I'm just low-level angry and sad. Um, I need to cheer you up, don't I? And anarchic. I can't start. I can't do crotchless underwear again. I need a new bed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> crotchless bra. It was, it was no. a shock the last time. <laughs> No, we can't have crotchless underwear every episode. We don't want to spoil the listeners. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, yeah. I just need to chug a tiny bit more coffee before we uh, manage the full-on. Yeah. I, I had to try and set up an Outlook account yesterday just because I needed an email account that wasn't attached to anything else so I could use it to test something. Um, and I didn't want to do it on Google because conflicting Google accounts and confusing logins and stuff. Mm. And it was, God, it was a bore lake to shuffle through the entire Microsoft ecosystem just to make an Outlook email address. I hate so much about tech companies and I shouldn't start on that because it's a rele- that's not even one of the things I'm angry about that's relevant to this book. <laughs> to be yeah. honest, it's a nice dis- it's a nice distraction for anger. You can bitch about Spotify if you want. Um I yeah, mean, I this is still going to come out on Spotify, but you can bitch about it. Well, yeah, I mean, 
Heavyweight, which is one of my favorite podcasts, was by Jonathan Goldstein, had an announcement at the start of its latest episode, which is the first in the new season, that from at some point next month, they're going to be exclusive on Spotify. And that made me cancel my Spotify subscription. I I just don't understand it. Well, I understand it. It's because it's going, it's, you know, it's a Spotify's trying to call to the market. They're trying to do yeah. to podcasting what all of the streaming services have done to television. Um, but I don't know if you ask me, if you don't have an RSS feed, you're not a podcast. Like, yeah, it's a, it's a show. It's a Spotify show that they've got. Um, and I, I don't know. I think what Spotify are trying to do to the podcasting space is uh, despicable and will probably work. And I hate that. And the fact that you have to pay like premium subscribers to Spotify still have to listen to ads in the middle of Spotify owned podcasts. Yeah. is like another little bit of, you know, ad creep. All companies do this. They start with their like, oh, and if you pay for this service, you won't have to watch ads. And then slowly mm-hmm. over the years, like you notice that Amazon Prime has a few more adverts that you can still skip for now. But, you know, it's really, really hard to conflate my whole thing of. I do my best to pay for everything I watch in some way. Admittedly, I don't support every podcast I listen to on Patreon because fuck, yeah, we have a budget. I, <laughs> I have a budget, but I support quite a lot of them, and I do mm. little co-fi's and things when I can for other ones. And obviously, with TV, I pay for like five different streaming services because I want to pay for the TV I watch and not pirate it. But trying to conflate that with fuck, I hate all of these massive corporations trying to fuck people over so they've got to pay for five different streaming services and yeah and on in a, in a general sense not in a way that i would do this myself uh, <laughs> i don't mind it so much either if there's no uk release date for something it's like yeah. tell me it'll be in a couple of months and i'll watch in a couple of months but if i want to watch it and you won't tell me like even vaguely when it's going to be i'm just going to watch it in theory allegedly somewhere else well yeah that was <laughs> i, I thought about doing that with the watch and then thought I wanted to wait till it was out in the UK so we could discuss it for all the listeners to watch and I knew I probably wasn't going to watch it multiple times. I'm 50-50 on whether we should cover it in January. I'm not sure I can be asked to talk about it again. Yeah, I have thoughts on that, which are an entire month on something most of our listeners hate might be a bad shout. Yeah, maybe. (laughs) Listeners, give us your thoughts. Would you like us to do a two episode per episode discussion of the watch or as in one episode of the podcast per two episodes of the watch not two episodes of the podcast per one episode of the watch because no one wants that no would you like a full month of coverage on the watch or would you rather we talked about anything else if you ever loved me tell joanna to cancel that month (laughs) um we've probably babbled on enough nonsense yeah i can probably pick some sentences out of that for the soft open that should be fine <laughs> just leave it exactly the two, it is, two minute soft open listeners uh you'll know i worked very hard <laughs> 20 minutes you'll know i left editing till the last second either is entirely possible do you want to grab another coffee before we yeah, crack on better i'm a bit yeah. worried about waking up this dog again but and then should we make a podcast yeah let's make a podcast Hello and welcome to the Two Shall Make Ye Fret, a podcast in which we are reading and recapping every book from Terry Pratchett's Discworld series, One Us Time, in chronological order. I'm Joanna Hagen. And I'm Francine Carroll. And this is part one of our discussion of, mas- not masquerade, Feet of Clay. We can start masquerade again, that's fine. 
<laughs> My brain's still in September, clearly. So anyway, Feet of Clay, a very good book. Feet of Clay, the 19th Discworld novel. Indeed it is. Note on spoilers before we crack on. We are a spoiler light podcast. Obviously heavy spoilers for the book Feet of Clay, but we'll avoid spoiling any major future events in the Discworld series and we're saving any and all discussion of the final Discworld novel, The Shepherd's Crown, until we get there so you, dear listener, can come on the journey with us. Jumping out of a window after having committed an horrible murder and running away across the surface of the Ankh. What a handy, solid river that is. Oh, yes. I believe we don't have anything to follow up on because we're disorganised. Correct. But thank you for people's lovely comments and such what on our <laughs> Masquerade episodes. And do remember to send in your dispatches from the round world. Yeah, we'll get we'll get there. We'll get some. It's fine. Po- postcards on an albatross to the usual address. Exactly so. So, Francine, would you like to introduce us to the book Feet of Clay? Certainly. Feet of Clay was, as you quite so correctly did say, uh, the 19th Discworld novel, published in 1996. Well into the 90s now. Feet of Clay is quite an interesting title. It is, as the annotated Pratchett file pointed out, a biblical reference. The Babylonian king, who didn't try and practice this first, Nebuchadnezzar, maybe, uh, had a dream in which he saw a statue whose um, head was gold, but the lower you look down, the like crapper the materials were, until the feet were part iron, part clay. Uh, the statue was shattered and destroyed by being struck on the feet. Hence, colloquially, the expression feet of clay has come to mean that someone regarded as an idol has a hidden weakness. Ah. Um, so it's like, I, I don't know, like the li- weakest link within a person kind of thing. Um, the Achilles heel. Yeah, that's a better way of putting it. <laughs> that is a cool little reference, I think, for a title. Uh, the blurb. There's a werewolf with pre-lunar tension in Ankh-Morpork, and a dwarf with attitude, and a golem who's begun to think for itself. But for Commander Vimes, head of Ankh-Morpork's city watch, that's only the start. There's treason in the air. A crime has happened. He's not only got to find out who done it, but how done it too. He's not even sure what they've done. But as soon as he knows what the questions are, he's going to want some answers. Excellent. Josh Kirby's done as usual fascinating job with the cover yeah the consistent depiction of angua as uh, a certain sort of busty armor clad wench in fairness that is pretty much how pratchett describes her a lot of the time yeah but i feel like there's busty Although armor not clad so wench much with the purple thigh highs which i would wear i know you would but probably not while out on the beat it depends on the beat. I was about to say on the job, but then that, that opened a whole door. <laughs> My future career as a seamstress. Exactly. So, But yes, what a good book. This is a weird one for me, actually. This is one I haven't reread as much as the others, because it's one of the last of the watch books I read, because I read everything out of order. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I've read this one a fair amount of times, as I said. Um, but... I'm always with the watch books and things. I'm always um, surprised by which bits are in which. So the bit about the um, assassin hanging by his ankle. If yeah, you'd asked I me, have... I would have told you that was in Thud or something. Yeah, I could have sworn that was Fifth Elephant. Because I read, um, like I said, I read all the Discworld books out of order. I read, I think Men at Arms was the first one I read. And then I went back and read Guards, Guards. But then I kind of moved on to the other ones because this was one that, I didn't have in the house I lived in, or the the person I was borrowing them from a lot, borrowing a lot of them from, didn't have it. Right. But he did have the next, the following three. God, sorry, minor spoiler that there are more guards books. 
It's not a spoiler, Joanna. Anyone can see the book list. (laughs) I'm going to sit you down and explain what a spoiler is. (laughs) At this point, it's almost become a bit, and I'm aware that you will murder me in my sleep one day. Bolder me to assume I can ever be bothered to drive round if coffee's not involved. Yeah, good point. I'll wake you up, we'll have a coffee, then I'll murder you. Oh, thank you. Politely. Have I got to make you a coffee before you murder me? I can make the coffee, that's fine. Okay, good. (laughs) I feel like I draw the line of putting a little biscuit on the side of the cup if a murder's imminent. I think that's a good boundary to set. Yeah, I'm trying to set. (laughs) You're growing as a person. (laughs) Not sharing my biscoff with a murderer. What are we talking about? We're talking about the book Feet of Clay. That's right. That's a good idea. Shall I so, tell us what happened? Yes, you tell us what happened in part one, which went up to page 132 in the Corgi paperback edition. It did indeed. Uh, so we begin on a warm spring night as golems knock at the door. They have a new white golem to sell for cheap and they give the profit to a beggar. Spring becomes summer, becomes autumn as the disc spins. And on a chilly autumn night, the bookish priest fa- Father Tubalkek is murdered. Samuel Vimes, commander of the City Watch, begins his day with a shave and an assassination attempt before checking his appointments, planning on a visit to the College of Heralds at 10, followed by a veterinary at 11. Over at the Dwarf Bread Museum, a second elderly man is murdered as Mr. Hopkinson finds himself inconvenienced. At the Watch House, Vimes interviews Cheery Littlebottom, an alchemist, and hires the diminutive dwarf. Carrot and Angua enjoy a lovely breakfast and interrupt a robbery before embarking on an exciting visit to the Dwarf Bread Museum. A mysterious meeting takes place with the White Golem's owner in a panic over poison. Vimes visits the College of Heralds, meets the vampiric Dragon King of Arms, learns he's not entitled to a coat of arms thanks to his ancestors' treasonous accents, and receives the surprising news that Corporal Nobby Nobbs is descended from nobility and might just be the rightful Earl of Ankh. As Vimes leaves, a polite dragon inquires after the welfare of Captain Carrot. The captain in question arrives at the museum with Angua and receives a short, sharp shock as they find the body of Mr. Hopkinson. Dragon looks at records and discards Carrot's careful descendants in favour of planting Nobby's tree. Vimes, on the scene of the late Tubalkek's murder, murder, spots white clay on the floor and ponders paper left in the late priest's mouth. Detritus looks for clues as Cheery arrives, eventually finding wax under the victim's nails and taking a close-up of the dead man's eyes. Meanwhile, at the Dwarf Bread Museum, Angua gets on all fours to sniff out the murderer, but is stumped by a lack of distinctive sense, although there's something strange near the oven. Vimes heads to the palace to meet Vetinari, who appears to be running late. He lets himself into Vetinari's office and finds the patrician passed out. Poison is suspected, as Cheery finds himself summoned to the palace, and Vimes brings in a veterinarian for Vetinari, so the city's medical community can't be trusted. Guildheads gather as an exaggerated rumour spreads of Vetinari's untimely demise, and Vine sets out to find the would-be killer as Colin suggests Carrot as a temporary ruler. Vime sends Nobby to the College of Heralds to learn of his new nobility. Cheery points out the glowing red dots from the dre- dead priest's eyes. Carrot and Angua inform Vimes of the latest murder, and Vime sends Carrot to run the watchhouses before sending Cheery and Angua out to detect. Angua offers to keep Cheery's hidden femininity a secret and smells something from the museum in the clay clue to Tubalkek's murder. They visit Igneous, the pottery troll, and discover the clay is badly baked. Cheery and Angua go for a drink, and after a brief eager interrogation, Cheery admits to a long-running dislike of lycanthropes. The murders get more mysterious as Vimes learns that the paper left in Tubalkek's mouth contains the commandments of an old religion. Cool. Things and stuff. Mm. It's good Many. setup. It's good setup. It does, uh, as I think I said for whichever last watch what it, book it was, it does remind me of the start of like an Ian Rankin novel or something. It's clearly a detective-y 
Um, clearly written by someone who appreciates detective e novels. Yes, which is a nice treat. Uh, so helicopter and loincloth watch. Oh yeah, right. Um, the golems clearly don't wear loincloths, which is appalling. Okay. Not sure how. And cool. I don't know. Igneous the troll. I'm gonna. I'm gonna again say loincloths implied. I'm starting to worry. I'm being kind of weirdly racist about trolls. Though. Yeah, no, you are actually. Yeah, same. Yeah. Bit okay. problematic. Cool. Uh, as for helicopters, the marvellous sweeping shot of the disc as spring becomes summer becomes autumn could easily have been filmed from helicopter. You can't have that because they do it in almost every book. <laughs> Speaking of four things we're keeping track of, although it's not the first bit of the book, we do get the nice big disc world opening. Mm-hmm. Yeah, nice and one too. Death is present. He is. He is. He is. Librarian's not been explained yet, but he, he hasn't. Has he been around? No. A librarian. No. Cool. Yeah, the uh, the sweeping shot of the disc thing also ties into the weather thing I was talking about. Was it last week? week oh, before? yeah, the lovely depictions yeah. of autumn and things. Hmm. Very enjoyable. Uh, so, it's quotes. quotes. I think mine's just about first. It um, is. We've picked reasonably close together and similar themes, I think. Whoever had created humanity had left in a major design flaw. It was its tendency to bend at the knees. That's a good line. One of those very quotable uh, subjects is practiced on rulers. But doesn't work at all out of context. Hmm? Well, obviously, the point it's making about humanity being slightly too willing to be subjugated is very good. Yes. But if you just take that sentence out of context, it just sounds like knees are a bad thing. I suppose so, yes. <laughs> I like to think people would give it a thought if you were saying it in like a sage manner. Have you met people? Yes, all right, fair point. What was your quote, Joanna? Speaking of. I'm just, just going to start complaining about my tricky knees. <laughs> oh, they do click in the weather. Um, sorry, mine was a few pages later, but on the same theme. He said to people, you're free. And they said, hooray. Then he showed them what freedom costs and they called him a tyrant. And as soon as he'd been betrayed, they milled around a bit like barn-bred chickens who've seen the big world outside for the first time. And then they went back into the warm and shut the door. It's interesting. Um, I would like to know what Pratchett thought about Cromwell as a whole. I expect he had a pretty balanced... Yeah, he doesn't really state an opinion here so much as think about how the masses react to things. Yeah. The... um. Yeah, we should talk about Cromwell at some point during this book. We should. Maybe save it for the last bit, yeah. I don't remember enough about the Civil War. I'm not going to lie, I haven't really studied it since... It was a while school. ago. <laughs> um, I know enough about it that I will bullshit about it when we get there. So Excellent, that's all we need. You know me in history. <laughs> and people just don't seem to correct me as much as you in music, so it's fine. <laughs> I feel like we've probably got more music nerds than historians listening to the podcast. Oh, I don't know. I reckon it might be about 50-50 or some overlap. Might do a demographics poll on Twitter. Yeah. (laughs) Which do you most associate with? (laughs) Um, Or we could do like an undercover one where we both tweet something inaccurate and see how many. (laughs) (laughs) We just plant really inaccurate things in the episodes and test the reaction. Oh, okay, right. Stop mystery shopping our listeners. Right. Um, Commander Sir Samuel Vimes. Commander Sir Samuel Vimes. I thought I'd start with the characters we kind of know already. And obviously, we've got a Vimesy book. We're with the watch. 
We're with them. We're with him. And Vimes and Sybil now uh, happily married. She's talking about curtains. Yes, it does happen to women of a certain age. And you order curtains. Yeah, I would really like to uh, say that it's not the case, but actually I've been trying to sew a curtain. So You're trying to sew a curtain? Well, I have a curtain already, but it needs altering to fit in one of the windows that doesn't have curtains. Oh, you should have said. I can do that for you. Um. Yeah, I should have said. I've nearly hand sewn it. Oh, you're quite right. I should have said. <laughs> Next time. Remember this running joke on the podcast about how I'm a seamstress, Francine? Yeah, no, I forgot that it wasn't just an insult. Sorry. No. Yeah. I'm, I'm joking. I wore a dress you made me the other day. <laughs> also remember that you've got dodgy hands. Stop hand sewing things when you've got a friend with, friend with a sewing machine. Um, I refuse to stop doing things just because it causes me a lot of pain and I don't need to do it. <laughs> Thank you. As will be I shown when we that. go bowling again. <laughs> God, bowling. It's been a very long time. I know it's been a very long time, hasn't it? My hands absolutely hate me for doing it, but God, it's fun. I'm so bad at it. Yeah, me too. There's just no reason for me to keep doing it. Um, so <laughs> Sorry. Sir Samuel Bynes is, uh, yeah, nobbing about. Struggling with the nobbing. Not a fan of the nobbing. Yeah. <laughs> that has too many meanings, that word. Um, <laughs> Yeah, it's um. What well, which book was it that we talked about class consciousness last? It was uh. It would have been it, the last Vimes one, wouldn't it? I think it probably was Men at Arms because that's where we got mm. the the Vimes boots theory of economics. Yeah, and what, yes, that's right. When he had a go at the people during the dinner party. Yeah, and he has very much not lost the chip on his shoulder here. He's trying to avoid. He doesn't like the fact that the world is divided into the shaved and the shavers. Absolutely. When he tries to go into the um or when he was recalling when he went into the servant's room to laugh. Sort of try and join in in a game of cards. That's such a good line. Um, The universe crystallizing around him. Yes, like becoming a cogwheel in a glass clock. Yeah, it is a very good line. And it also reminded me of one of Jack's favorite uh, sketches from the Fast Show, um, which is Ted and Ralph. And it is basically a very posh man trying to get in with his groundskeeper and be mates and the groundskeeper does not fucking have in it (laughs) it's a well-known trope i think i'll link i'll link to one of the sketches but yeah poor vimes poor vimes poor vimes but he's doing well he's still policing which is what he enjoys yes yes that's what he wanted that's right yes he was going to retire and didn't i remember now yes he's very joyfully not retired and not uh, being assassinated (laughs) <laughs> yes, but dealing with the odd assassination attempt, which I like that he's uh, very comfortably just set traps up everywhere. Yes, there's a bear trap in the shrubbery. Yeah. I, it's so something no, I like no, about Vimes is his... <laughs> because obviously the whole point of the watchbooks is kind of to see Vimes struggling against something and kind of pushing against the tide and trying to solve the big murders or find out how they're all connected or what have you. And it's very nice to see him have moments like with the assassination attempt where he's just aggressively competent. Yes. Yeah, it's um, Vimes' ability to kind of dodge all the assassins and that is, is almost like a, a a a bit in that obviously it's like unrealistically competent around all this stuff. And like, if you think about it too hard, the fact that he could have ended up with a crossbow bolt through the head is horrific. Like, like we were talking about the tone thing in the watch series, like watching an yeah. assassination is actually quite horrible on screen for um somehow like in, in, in a book, book as a joke it's fine somehow yeah and it's it's quite a fun running joke and yeah i'm sad that we don't get to see more of lady sybil but i'm glad she's happy yes i'm glad she's happy in curtains 
I'm glad she's happy in curtains. I must order curtains. I'm not even of that certain age yet. I just really no. You need just some need curtains. some curtains. Yeah, you do. Do you do need those? Um, captain Carrot. Captain Carrot is now my captain. Was he a captain a by captain. the end of that? I think he was sergeant last time, wasn't he? I think he became captain at the end. Ah, I believe it's been too long. I don't remember men at arms. That was June. I've always thought of him as Captain Carrot. Anyway, it suits him. Mm. Captain, as I think I've said before, is the most dashing of. Uh, ranks i feel you one can't help but imagine him somewhat mustachioed yes yes <laughs> anyway he's doing pretty well exercising yep. his charisma being as lovely as ever writing his uh, letters home to his parents very kind oh that's very sweet very running kindly around. taking anger to horrible museums <laughs> running around like a fly with a blue bottom and no mistake and no mistake <laughs> It's the one thing, you know, I understand that the joke is that he drags people to these museums that no one would find entertaining. Hmm. I love weird little museums. Me too, but I'm not sure I would like to go with somebody who is very earnest about the whole thing and therefore I had to hear about it all at length. No, I even enjoy that. I like Mm. getting a huge amount info dumped on me about something obscure and completely fascinating to someone that I will forget as soon as it's over. I often like that, but I really do prefer it at my own pace. Yes, and true. I can't be talked at for very long before I completely zone out. So, how you cope with me, I don't understand. Um, it's okay because I'm allowed to reply. <laughs> You're allowed. Yes, <laughs> yes, I am allowed. <laughs> um, anyway, so yeah, Angua, who is now in a relationship with Carrot, but a bit concerned about it. Yeah, she's sort of thinking about running away. Um. Because of the whole werewolf thing. She yeah. feels like her time in Ankh-Morpork has got to be somewhat temporary. Yes. It's interesting. She doesn't feel like she can communicate that really, but I suppose Carrot would very much brush it off. So, Yeah, he's slightly too confident in that everyone's a good chap underneath, so she doesn't need to worry. Mm. And I think it's also combined with she's not used to having someone who would listen, so she is generally used to just sort of pushing it down and not thinking about it yeah i like the kind of uh the extra little insight we get into her werewolf kind of synesthesia almost oh yeah that was such a good moment where she's witnessing all the colors moving around yeah that's quite i also like um cool way to portray something we can't as humans possibly understand yeah yeah um, I really like the sort of tiny insights into her background as well. You get um, when Dragon's looking at the sort of carrot family tree and her side of it and going back to the Baronetsy and Uberwald that she's kind of descended from because it turns out wolves track this sort of thing. Mm. And then the little the little moment in uh, when she's in the beers, buyers, the pub. Yeah, let's call it beers. Yeah, where um, someone says, I, you know, I'm hearing there's a Baron who's very angry at you and we've learned that her father is a Baron. Baron von Überwald, is that right? Yes, and yeah. a marvellous name. It is a wonderful name. Uh, so more about her a little later, I think. Um, detritus. Detritus. Now he was a sergeant already, actually, maybe. I don't remember. He's a sergeant. He yep. has his own proper armour. I'm happy for him. I love Detritus as a character. I think I mentioned in Masquerade when he gets his brief cameo that I just think he's very sweet. He is very sweet. Um Unfortunately, he's also the vessel for little jokes about police brutality in this one. Yeah, it's very hard to find this. It's really annoying. Well, I don't know. Yes, police brutality is really annoying. It is, yeah. It's irksome. 
<laughs> it is on the surface a very funny scene because you can imagine that very deadpan at each other. Obviously, no, I don't know anything about this, but then you actually think about the fact that it's police brutality. Yeah. Uh, the thing about, and, and this is like various jokes throughout the watch books. Um, it, it, the whole thing kind of hinges on us trusting Vimes. So Detritus is the one carrying out this vigilante work, which is mm. it is. Um, but he has police protection, which makes it not vigilante work, it makes it government thuggery. Um, but we think that's okay because Vimes trusts that Detritus is carrying out something morally correct, and we trust Vimes because he's a moral compass on length. Um, but yeah, it doesn't really stand up to any scrutiny, and that like a lot of things don't in these books, like it's funny, a lot of it, um, and that's what it's meant to be, and that's it. But and and in this case, it is following a trope, you know, it's it's a detective book and this is how police policemen talk in detective books but yeah it's yeah it's always a bit jarring to reread these as um as we become more and more aware of the real date real life police yeah. brutality in our world we're both particularly the kind of angry closing, at the police today yeah the kind of closing ranks thing but yeah. um yeah we were but going think- we had a little conversation about this before the episode as to whether we were going to turn it into a talking point and decided that uh i don't know neither of us have really got our thoughts on it down quite well enough to make it anything other than a sad rant so yeah and i think we can spare the listeners our sad ranting <laughs> on this subject only but i think what's also <laughs> frustrating is um that it's trying to hold up detritus as somewhat morally right in this situation because the the person who is threatening to nail up by his ears is someone who's dealing drugs to kids. Yeah. And obviously that's a bad thing. Yes. But this is not the way one goes about it. No. Um, Especially as it rather suggests that nothing would happen to them if they were followed due process. Well, exactly. Hmm. Um, Yeah, anyway. Not, Not a massive fan about that in the watch books in general and um particularly sensitive to it at the moment but I don't and know. maybe we'll talk about it again later in the book i'm not really sure for now yeah. shall we move on to uh the noble knobby knobs oh yes who is really quite upset to be so <laughs> he's not particularly pleased about his newfound nobility it doesn't sound it nerf i believe he said as Carrot said in his letter, Nobby is still Nobby only more, and now now he's having to face an entirely new set of circumstances. I kind of like Vimes' speculation on this, which is that actually it kind of works for Nobby, um, in that his problem was thinking small. If he just sidled into lands masses and stole an entire country, which yep. is a fair point. Yep. What happened to Malaysia? There's uh, there's also some very, very good bits of description about him. It's a special trait of his that he could sidle forwards as well as sideways. <laughs> it should not be possible for a knock to sound surreptitious, yet this knock achieved it. It had harmonics. Oh, good old Nobby. Yeah, I, he's... He's a... Um, oh, God, what do you call like a still point in a swirling mass of chaos? He's one of those. An anchor? No. Not uh, quite what I mean, but but you know the thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. He is one of those he's like a, a touch point, a lodestone. Yes, yes. 
no matter what else happens with the books, Nobby will always be exactly the same level of slightly grubby. Yeah, there's no need for character development with him, really, is there? No. I mean, yeah. he goes through some here as he processes what it might mean to be an ability and what have you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then we have Veterinary. Veterinary. In what order have you put these in? Uh, God, I don't know. It made sense when I was doing it. All right, cool. Um, oh, I see. You know, it's the ones we know already, and then we'll go on to the new ones. Got it. Yes, there we go. I was like, Nobby to Veterinary <laughs> to Cheery. <laughs> Who doesn't go from Nobby to Veterinary? Um, I think it's kind of interesting because this is somewhat formulaic now with the watch books and that this is the third watch book in a row where kind of the big plot hinges on the fact that people might want a king in Ankh-Morpork. pork. Yeah. Um, but what this book does differently is by removing kind of the equilibrium of the previous two books by taking out Vetinari with this, obviously he's not dead, but taking him out with this poisoning thing, yeah. he can't take the active role of Deus Ex being Machina. What, yeah. And being what Vimes is pushing against. Yeah. Uh, Men at Arms works because he drives Vimes to distraction. Yes. And guards, guards, he's locked up, isn't he? Mm. Yeah. But he's still very much manipulating everything. Yes. From his prison cell with his army of rats. Yeah. So I like I think the way a... he fell over was like death when he fell over in that bar. Good collapsing in this series. Folding up a joint at a time. I like a good collapse. A slow, terrible collapse. Mm. There is something about a very tall person falling over. Mm. Yeah. I like that he's very, very ill and compass enough to go on a little screed about poisons. And it's sort of him almost drifting into some flashback from his days at the uh, Assassin's Guild. Mm. It's And what would we do with this young veterinary? He's imagining himself having a conversation with a teacher. Yeah. Which shows just how ill he is, I suppose, isn't it? Grip on Mm. reality is usually pretty good for veterinary. And it's this idea of him... uh, doing the stability thing he's uh, just more useful alive than dead yeah the idea of stability being more important than anything else is a very interesting one and how uh, you know perversely often things like fascist governments get into power because they're the ones offering stability to start yes. with and then you very know, much so then out comes the fascism hey <laughs> um, no fascism bad Yes. Thumbs down on the Twitch yes, thumb, thumb, Thumbs down for fascism, of course. Cake's still good. Cake's still good. Yeah, we're still good with cake. So we're still not cancelled cake. cake. All right, good. I nearly cancelled it after last weekend. God, I hate icing cupcakes. Do you? My back gets very sore icing cupcakes. Oh, yes, I suppose it's... when there's an awful lot of them. In my head, I'm still like icing six or seven as a child rather than... <laughs> Oh yeah, if you're talking cupcakes, like I've got my nephew over and we'll make some little butterfly yeah, cakes yeah, yeah. and drown everything in sprinkles, that's great. But when it's like I'm sort of slightly yeah. hunched over my kitchen counter, not so much. Anyway, uh, Cheery. Cheery Little Bossom. Whose name we are so used to because we are such Discworld fans, but I do remember laughing at the scene quite a lot at her <gasps> introduction. Yes, I think because I read other Discord book, other books where Cheery had already been introduced first before I read this one, I never really fully giggled at it. I think I do. You know I think I've probably read most of the watch ones in order, which mm. is good. Um, but yes, she is. Well, yes, it, yeah. We'll go. She. she there was a 
small part where the inner monologue bit was he but that was just because they wanted the reveal with Angua, yeah. I think. But yeah, the pronouns in the book all switch to she as soon as that conversation yeah. with Angua happens. Which you know, guys, if Terry Pratchett can get pronouns right, <laughs> and Cherry's in nineteen ninety six, yeah, <laughs> Cherry's considered a really iconic character in the Discworld fandom because there's some elements of uh, the journey that a trans person goes through with coming out and mm. being seen as female and presenting as female. Yeah. And I think a lot of these, a lot of the things she's saying about gender in this book can also, you know, apply to people non-binary, um, anyone yeah. who's just got a problem with the binary gender, um, kind of rigid roles. And yeah, it is very interesting. And this grass is greener idea as well with the mm. dwarf thing is that, yes, dwarves can do whatever they want to do. They're not stuck in these feminine roles, provided whatever they want to do is not a feminine role. Yes. It's like the whole sort of weird thing with feminism of, oh, well, we've got to cast off makeup and heels. And it's like, oh, maybe we don't. And it turns into a whole horrible circular argument about why you're wearing makeup and heels. Yeah. Which in my case is that I look pretty and my ass looks good. But for whom is the, yeah, blah, blah, blah. For the world, it all deserves a treat. Yeah, actually, by being bisexual, do you just get out of that argument? <laughs> yeah. It's like, it, what are you dressing for, like, the male gaze? Like, oh, I, ideally... That particular female gaze, actually. Thank you. Yeah, <laughs> I am dressing for now, all of the gays. Now, excuse me. <laughs> and none of the heteros. <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, gender's ridiculous. God, it's nonsense. I don't want to have anything to do with it. <laughs> what about Constable Visit the Infidel with explanatory pamphlets? Do you want to have anything to do with him? Oh, big fan, big fan. Would hate him in person, would absolutely punch him in the face, but in the Getting a bit annoyed, book, honestly, just in the context of the book. <laughs> in the context of the book, it's funny. Constable Visit the Infidel with Explanatory Pamphlets is Omnian. Uh, so, lovely callback to small gods. Uh, Omnianism is apparently no longer quite so sword and torch about its evangelism. It is now basically the Mormon church, or Jehovah's uh, Witnesses. Jehovah's Witnesses are the ones that knock on doors and they're very culty. It's pretty much all evangelical. Mormons knock on doors too, don't they? They, they, they do, do missions. They? Oh, yeah, I suppose so. Yeah, the Book of Mormons, that musical, that has all the knocking. Oh, yes. Hello, my name is Zelda Price. Yeah. Yes, anyway. no, sorry, Mormons do knock. Uh, Jehovah's Witnesses are famous for knocking and very culty. And evangelists just come in through the window. Yeah. Rude. Sometimes down the chimney. <laughs> No, that's Father Christmas. Oh, I always mix up evangelist <laughs> and Father Christmas. God, no, I really, I really, really hate it. I don't think anyone likes evangelism, but there's a specific rage for me having grown up in Catholic school. Uh, I remember a particular intense, particularly intense teacher telling us we had a natural right to evangelize yeah. when uh, he was going to be off for a few months and the p teacher who would be replacing him was still Christian, just not Catholic. So we were going to have to teach her the proper versions of the prayers and he wanted us to try and convert this woman to Catholicism because being Protestant wasn't good enough in the Catholic school. Hmm. Hmm. I hate evangelism. Hmm. Yeah. But Visit is so polite and quite sweet about it. It's just very nicely giving people pamphlets. He's just so affronted. <laughs> I mean, he's annoying me not because he's evangelizing, but because he's bothering Vimes about not having read something he gave him, and I relate too hard. Yeah, no, it does always annoy me. You read the thing yet? No, 
Yeah. But seriously, have you read the Ray Bradbury book I got you four years ago yet? Uh, (laughs) but i downloaded it on kindle why (laughs) because i sometimes really struggle to focus on actual books and i find if it's on kindle then i'll just do it when i'm procrastinating on my phone and end up reading all right especially with new stuff say that i just reread every book by trudy canavan over the last two months because i finally got the urge to read again but i'm still very much on a rereading fantasy books kick yeah no, that's uh, that's a good kick to be on if you want to get through vast amounts of material quite quickly yep i do promise to read some ray bradbury before i start rereading all the robin hobb books again anyway <laughs> i don't believe you but okay <laughs> we should mention that constable visit spends his days off in the company of his co-religionist smite the unbeliever with cunning arguments <laughs> Which, as irritating as evangelism is, at least they're not strapping people to turtles and setting fire to them. Yeah, that's a that's a nice low bar. It's um, a very low bar. We have Father Tubalkek. Tubalkek, uh, our first murder victim of the book. I tried to look up whether his name was etymologically interesting. I couldn't find it very briefly. If I if it is, I tried to practice saying it. It didn't go very well. Cool. Yeah, didn't we really do well? Poor Father Tubalkek, though. All he really cares about is his books. I know. Poor sod. I do feel bad for him. Uh, as Mr. Hopkinson, also. Oh, my God, so relatable. What, uh, don't not... have time to be dead right now? Tell me that's not exactly how I'm going to react when I die. Yeah, no. <laughs> oh, this poor Mr. Hopkinson. Never got to use Excel. <laughs> Couldn't you have arranged... Yes, being really, really enjoying categorizing things and being marvelously inconvenienced by death and asking him to turn up at a better time. That is extremely us, yes. Yeah, okay. Mr. Hopkinson's a personal attack. And then, yes, so he's dead too. I'm death, not taxes. I turn up only once. The reference to the famous Benjamin Franklin quote, the only two certainties are death and taxes. Yes. Anyway, yes, then we have the Dragon King of Arms. Excellent job title, terrible vampire terrible vampire but i like how he's it's he's very creepily written there's there's the mm. lovely horror vibe uh-huh. i do love how pratchett manages to put give characters little vocal ticks yes yeah this is almost like the little humorless laugh in soul music there it is the yes the music guild yeah yeah, yeah. the uh, the hat 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 aha Yes, Dragon King of Arms, very eugenics-y if you ask me. He's got eugenics vibes. Uh, I feel like he's probably vibes. into phrenology. He reminds me a lot of uh, Deith. 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 What was his uh, name? Edward, Edward Deith. Deith. Yeah. From Men at Arms. Yeah, very into people's profiles. Yes. Uh, the yeah. ears of a clamp that Vines apparently has. Oh, that old song, Ears of a Clamp. <laughs> um. I God, think I'm we sorry. will be hearing a lot more from Dragon King of Arms later. We will be. Uh, before that, though, let's talk about Donut Jimmy. Yay, our favourite horse doctor. He's certainly my favourite veterinarian. Who I like is completely unwilling to at any point acknowledge the fact that his patient is not a horse. Has he eaten his bedding? Uh, I, don't, I don't think so. How's he pissing? <laughs> the usual way, I suppose. <laughs> It's still like staring at an, a definite human being and saying, well, walk him around a bit on a loose rein. Don't give him any oats. I saw an interesting, oh God, I can't remember if it was Tumblr or Twitter thread about why you always seem to meet up with a veterinarian in the post-apocalyptic drama rather than a surgeon. 
Oh and yeah, I think I read that one as well. Yeah, they're so, generally away from patient zero. Yeah, they are trained in not being bitten. Yeah, they know the basics. And I get like from a less jokey point of view, I guess it's like you get to have the medical expertise without having the Deus Ex Machina of a fucking heart surgeon. I don't know. Yeah, not that the heart surgeon would necessarily be a all rounder, but I don't know how medicine works, Joanna. Is that not abundantly clear by now? <laughs> you need to get your humours looked at. Yes, absolutely. Oh, do you know what? This nearly made the cut for an uh, obscure reference, but I didn't really have time to do all the research it would have needed. The idea that um, the human body being a microcosm of the universe, actually, I think that was Cheery rather than Jimmy, wasn't it? Mm. Um, I think was uh, ancient Greek, and I've definitely read about it before, but I can't get Oh, Back I think that came out quite some reading. Uh, You're Dead to Me did a very good episode on ancient Greek medicine. Nice. Oh, they also very recently just did an episode on uh, medieval science that I highly recommend. Oh, I like me some medieval science. Yeah. I'll yeah. Look at that. Fascinating. Uh, well, natural philosophy. Natural philosophy. Speaking of natural things, should we talk about Icneus, the pottery troll? Hey. That was a segue. Uh, yeah, I like him. <clears throat> Nice low-level criminal, good at his job. Always found the general denial was more reliable than the specific <laughs> reputation. <laughs> general denial. I like his uh, very, very blatant, uh, well, it's just clay, and then explains that crappy clay is just good enough for them lady potters with dangly earrings what make coffee mugs what you can't lift with both hands, which feels like a really specifically 90s stereotype as well. It does, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, all the potters i know now are very i guess access to proper equipment just must be easier now because <laughs> i'd really love to have a go at pottery i've looked at the little wheel at home wheels you can get a couple of times but i think you'd be very good at it you're good at things like you know the fiddly making jewelry stuff i think i'd be very bad at it and get very frustrated so i have i've spun pots a few times before and it is a really I've satisfying spun a few pots in my time you know what I mean. few... sorry sorry <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, everything I say sounds filthy today. Stone face vimes. Stone face. Oh, you did vimes. get him in here. Sorry, I mentioned yes, Cromwell earlier because uh, I thought we hadn't got Stone Face as his own character. Oh yeah, no, I thought we'd talk about him. Yeah. Um, this lovely bit of Ankh-Morpork pork history. Suffer not injustice, vimes. What a good name. Interesting. Obviously, the parallel here is very much with the English Civil War, the Roundheads and the Cavaliers. Vimes is clearly meant to be a bit of a Cromwell type, mm-hmm. but. Um, he was commander of the City Watch in 1688, and 1688 was when uh, a different revolution took place in England that I can't remember the name of. Good, well then. When power was handed over to someone. Good, good, good work, Joanna. <laughs> I forgot to write this down. Good, yeah, I see that. <laughs> the point is, there are two different revolutions. I think it was called the Bloodless Revolution or something because it oh. wasn't a civil war. Interesting. It was very uncivil war. Yes, everyone was very rude. How dare they? I liked Carrot's co- Carrot and Angua's comments on the civil war actually being, um, why are we celebrating 300 years of it? They're because we won, but you also lost. <laughs> the glorious revolution of November 1688 was the deposition of James II and Seventh, King of England, Scotland, Ireland, and replacement by, oh, by Mary the Se- Yeah, okay. English history. Very much recommend Noble Blood for a look at some of this stuff. Uh, very Ooh, good podcast. Noble Blood's a very good podcast. Fantastic podcast. Recommendation Ooh, of the week. But yeah, I thought it was interesting that um, no one wants to be Stoneface. 
everyone in the society says he shouldn't have won because he was outnumbered 10 to 1 and had warts and he was a bit of a bastard. Correct, yes. <laughs> Um, and the, uh, the yeah, the very strange way history looks back on these things, uh, especially like with the English Civil War, people often remember, you know, how uh, the Purita- how Puritan Cromwell was. Yeah, um, and you know, a twat to the Irish and stuff. Well, yeah, I'm not saying I'm not defending Cromwell. No, no, I know you're not. Um, but on the subject of things, we never get taught in the very brief look at the revolution at school. Um, I feel like generally how twattish the English have been to the Irish is not something really taught in English schools. I've learned quite a lot of it from Derry Girls. From Derry Girls, from just a lot of Googling whenever something comes up in a historical drama that seems like weirdly vague. Um, (laughs) Yeah. That's all I've got for characters. Should we move on to locations? Yeah. Um, We're in Ankh-Morpork, obviously, but within Ankh-Morpork, where are we? Uh, A couple of new places we visit, of course, the Royal College of Heralds. Love it. Love it so much. I love that they've got all of the animals and paint it from life. Very into that. Big fan of uh, Roderick and Keith, even if it's not natural for them. <laughs> Gay rights for hippos. The Moorpork. We have a Moorpork. We have a little owl. Which is fun. It uh, mentions that Moorpork's from the other side of the disc and the actual Moorpork owl is from New Zealand. Oh, is that so? Oh, the other nice. side of the world. How nice. That's a lovely little thing. I love that the idea puts his canvas on his evil, shouts, Hupla! And the, the hippos reared rather arthritically, and the owl spread its wings. Oh, I would and like, nobody mixed things up. Imagine, imagine having animals that sat still for things like being sketched. Do you know? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, as soon as she sees me drawing her, she moves. <laughs> She's she can sense it. Good. She is such a lovely dog, though. I love her. Oh, she is. It's her marvellous ears. <laughs> and we also have beers. The, uh, From ears to beers. From ears to beers, uh, the marvellous pub for the undead that Angua takes Cheery to. See, I think Angua makes a bit of a mistake in threatening the barkeep, but, you know, each to their own. Yeah, I wouldn't start with threatening the barkeep. No. But there are some fun characters that obviously beers, I'm assuming, is meant to be A, a play on the word beer. Also, uh, beer as in like the old word for coffins. Oh, I didn't I didn't know that was a thing. Ah, fun. Mm. And, it is a pun. Or a play on words. Beers as in Cheers, where everyone knows your name. Oh, sure. Yeah. Yep. Is that the name of the pub in Cheers? Cheers, Cheers? yes. Yeah. 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 That's (laughs) why. I thought it might be like Cheers, like, you know. The place is called Cheers. Cool. Cute. I've never actually watched Cheers, to be fair. No, me neither. Uh, Clearly. (laughs) I'd like to point out one of the characters is Schleppel, the bogeyman, who we've met already. It's very nice to see him again. Uh, Violet, one of the tooth fairies. Yep. As opposed to Clinkerbell, who is not a legitimate tooth fairy. Can be. That's discrimination. And this is what the children left under the pillows. Bless their little hearts. <laughs> I like that one. Oh, some of the little repeating bits are very cute. There's um, some very good. Oh, Mrs. Gamage. Lovely oh. Mrs. Gamage, who drinks at beers and has done ever since it was uh, the crown and axe. Every pub has a lovely old woman regular. I'm looking forward to being one when I grow up. Absolutely. There was a lady called Murphy who used to drink at the pub I worked at in Sydney. And she would come in every morning, I think, maybe early afternoon. I used to do the day shift anyway. And she would have a champagne glass full of cider, uh, hard cider for our American friends. And uh, the rest of the schooner would be set next to it. And she would sit and maybe have a total of 
two, three pints over the entire day and would hold court and tell great stories. And she was ever so lovely. (laughs) I made sure to say goodbye to her, especially when I left. Yeah. That's exactly the sort of old woman I want to grow up to be. Yeah. Apart from with the cider, because it gives me a headache. (laughs) Champagne only, darling. Champagne only. Doesn't come out of the tap in Australia, unfortunately. How rude. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Beers is good. I like also the old man trouble reference. Don't mind. Mm. Don't mind. Don't mind him. Um, don't mind him. Uh, the bogeyman getting a blanket on his head. Yeah, excellent. Bit of subter- subterfuge. No, not subterfuge. Uh, specific weaponry. Yes. All of that. Blue fluffy blanket for preference. I wonder what it is about the blue fluffy blanket. Mm. Blanket. Blanklet. <laughs> I think I think it just kind of refers to the fact she's clearly been experimenting, which is nice. <laughs> Angua would definitely have a spreadsheet of results of. Oh yes, causing so many just twelve crises. characters need spreadsheets. What a shame! They might have spreadsheets. Of course, spreadsheets did used to just be sheets of paper. Um, Very true. That you one would spread out. Mm-hmm. It was a revolution in accounting. Why well, I've read about that at length. Do you know what? I'll send you that one day. It's not something I'm going to talk about length. Oh, hold on, drop my paper because it's very boring. But um, not to us. Anyway, <laughs> those are the only locations I noted for this episode. Beautiful. Little bits we liked. Francine, he wrote. I've lost my book. That's my book. Oh no. <laughs> How has this happened? That's quite important. I need that. Uh, I've got my notebook. How have you misplaced your book? Sorry, yes, I took it through with me when I was making coffee. Uh, <laughs> okay. Let's try that again. So little bits we liked. Little bits we liked. Francine, he wrote, did he? He did write, yes. Um, this is when Carrot is writing home, which is quite yes. a sweet little bit anyway. We've talked about it. Um, but what I thought I'd point out is how it starts. It goes, he chewed the end of his pencil for a moment. Well, it has been an interesting week again. Square brackets. He wrote... And I thought that was a very interesting choice on Pratchett's part that highlights how much he values the flow of dialogue and how he structures it in particular. So Mm. the non-awkward way to do that would have been he chewed the end of his pencil for a moment and wrote colon or full stop. He wrote colon. Um, But because Pratchett likes doing the sentences like something, 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 he said something, something. He's yeah. put that in the middle of a quoted piece of writing, which is incredibly unusual, but I rather liked. As it's You can tell Pratchett's got that kind of editor's eye. Yeah. And I, I guess kind of the journalistic background as well. He writes as if he's mm. describing the actions of people as if it was the opening salvos of an interview. Yeah. Or... Yeah. Huh. Anyway, yeah, it's been a while since I did a little editory nerd bit. So that... <laughs> Um, your bits, your bit is next. Oh, language Speaking of weird writing. Uh, it's just a comedy moment, and it's another one that only it's very, very rule of three, and it's all on one page. And this is when uh, Carrot and Angua are confronting the robbers, and the Iron Crust, the dwarf being robbed, is obviously furious in dwarvish. Mm. <clears throat> so we have, come on, lads, let's hang him up by the uh, Barazat car, mm-hmm, yeah. and then the asterisk uh, town hall. Ah, yes. And then Carrot replies, we don't practice that kind of punishment in Ankh-Morpork. And the uh, footnote is, because Ankh-Morpork doesn't have a town hall. <laughs> Footnotes are it's... back in uh, great use in this book, aren't they? They really are. And uh, then you have, they bash Bjorn tri- 
uh, type Richard Census. They kicked Olaf strong in the arm in the Bad Ducks yeast bowl. And it's the final bit of yeast bowl. Yeah, in a yeast bowl. <laughs> Which I'm not sure what a, as a baker, I'm not sure what one would call a yeast bowl. Uh, no, let's not speculate, I say. Um, and there's uh, when Carrot and Angra are introduced to Cheery, and uh, oh, yeah. Carrot's dressing Cheery in Dwarvish, the translation for Little Bomb sounds a lot like short ass. Yes. <laughs> I also thought Carrot was a little bit mean to Angua there when she was trying. <laughs> and the, yeah, I'm yeah, grown up with your mouth full of gravel. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to talk about heraldry briefly. Mm. Uh, I resisted the urge of going down the coat of arms rabbit hole because I know myself and how many hours I have available in a day. And the rabbit is too busy posing for a coat of arms anyway. Exactly. Um, but listeners, if you have any fun coat of arms facts, or indeed if any of you have interesting family coats of arms, because I know they are a thing, mm. do tell us. Yeah. I wonder, do let us know. Wonder, wonder, wonder if any either of us have any in our in Quite our possibly, because uh, Clifford, which is not my maiden name, my mother's maiden name, mm. we know there was a de Clifford that came over with the Norman invasion. Mm. We're not sure that the family line directly traces back that far. Yeah. But there probably is some sort of Clifford coat of arms. Nice. I'll try and design you a coat of arms one day. Excellent. Thank you. If there could be a rampant hippo, that would be marvellous. Of course. Of course. Couchant. Couchant. <laughs> Does that mean sit? <laughs> I assume so. Not rampant. Couchant. Uh, yeah. So the Royal College of Heralds, is, College of Arms is a real thing. Um, oh, it's that? part of it's part of the royal household of the sovereign. Uh, there's lots of things like this. Uh, they accompany the queen on various state occasions, like the opening of parliament, and um, they're present in things like uh, when succession is read after a royal dies, a oh. monarch dies. They attend the coronation, that sort of thing. So they're like the official contributors to Burke's peerage, or whatever, I guess. Somewhat, yeah. They're the actual and obviously there's lots of things about how you end up with these positions they're generally it's a somewhat secondary ceremonial position although it does pay it's very rarely someone's full income they're often historians as well oh interesting uh and look at the backgrounds of heraldry so i didn't go too much into their function in royal society now but i did look at the titles mm. uh so at the very t- so persuivant means uh, persuivant. an assistant yes persuivant means an assistant an assistant herald basically it's uh, comes from old french back when england um, england had france i guess um, so at the top level, you do have the Kings of Arms. Uh, so we have the Garter King of Arms, the Clarenceau King of Arms, and the Noroi and Ulster Kings of, Ar- King of Arms. So Kings these are of arms. <laughs> somewhat location-based. Obviously, Noroi and Ulster is like the Northern Ireland type yes. area. Uh, but then, then you have the Heralds of Arms in Ordinary. and You're then you have the microphone again in excitement, my darling. Sorry. <laughs> then you have the Heralds of Arms in Ordinary, and then you have the Persuivants of Arms in Ordinary. Sorry, I love that word. Persuivants, like a weevil. <laughs> it's very satisfying, isn't it? Uh, so you have the Rouge Dragon, named for the Welsh Dragon. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have the Blue Mantle, which is a reference to the blue of the Royal Arms of France. Edward III created this particular position, so England had France at the time. And I assume this is where we get the character name in the Ankh-Morpork Royal College of Arms, uh, Pedessus Chartain, which translates as brown overcoat. Ah, cute. So, blue mantle, brown overcoat. Red uh, You have <laughs> the portcullis, which is named for the portcullis badge of the Tudors. Ooh. And the Tudors had the portcullis badge because of, as a play on their name, Tudor. 
Sorry. <laughs> humour has always been that bad. And then you have the uh, Rouge Croix cross, named after St. George's Cross, obviously, but I'm assuming this is where we get the Croissant Rouge ah, again yes. in the Edmorefoot College of Arms. There is no Dragon King of Arms, but um, something pointed out in Annotated Pratchett is that the name Dracula comes from Dragon. Oh, yeah. So there's a right. fun little vampire connection there. And Vampires obviously, do you like their code names. And it's obviously it's a nice reference to Guards Guards with the the dragon briefly being the king of Ankh-Morpork. Oh yeah. Or queen as it turns out. Yes. She can be king if she wants. Yep, true. I really it's don't 21st. think she cares. <laughs> it's the it's the century of the fruit bat. Is it? I wasn't keeping track. I've got no idea, mate. Yes, no, dragging and screaming into the century of the fruit bat. But we're nearly Not at the out. end of the century of the fruit bat. Yes, well, we're quite behind. <laughs> Whatever so, yes. book that's from. <laughs> I'm not even sure we've got to that book yet, but it's one of my favourite bits. Uh, so, yeah, so that's where we get uh, Pedestas Chartain, the brown overcoat, and uh, Croissant Rouge, the red croissant. Beautiful. Beautiful. And please enjoy my terrible pr- French pronunciation. Hopefully I won't have to do that again this Persuivre. episode. Persuivant. Oui, <laughs> you could say that in any tone of voice and it works. Ah, oh, oui, mon petit chouffle. Uh, how fragile the future. How fragile is the future, Francine? Reasonably, I would say. Uh, <laughs> very. Living in England, if, yes. <laughs> very, from the perspective of somebody who's more or less immortal. This is when uh, Dragon King of Arms is reflecting on the, the fragility of the future. It says, men, things, men said things like peace in our time or an empire that will last a thousand years. Less than half a ta- lifetime later, no one even remembered who they were, let alone what they'd said or where the mob had buried their ashes. What changed his- history were smaller things. Often a few strokes of the pen would do the trick. Mm, it's a very good line yes. with two interesting to be paralleled quotes considering who they're from yeah um and i yeah it's something i go on about a lot actually often in the group chat to the dismay of both of you which is like <laughs> you know from a historian's point of view all of these many events and world war one and two and the cold war and everything that's going on now are pretty much one and the same it'll be in a paragraph when they're finished picking through our bones but um it's probably because I phrase it like that that he gets upset. Yeah, I think it's the bones that <laughs> it's the, do it. It's the bones, yeah, all right. <laughs> anyway, I find that quite interesting, uh, historical compression as a... a historical compression, yeah, we've talked is it, about is this Is that the, the word, timeline before. compression? Yeah. Um, yeah, we've talked about this on the podcast a couple of times, like weird things like what Cleopatra was contemporary with and... Uh, yeah, not so much that, because that's just a, like, oh, this thing happened at the same time as that, but just a... a you know, everything seems so big while you're in it. Yeah. Uh, I think a better example of Cleopatra is we think of ancient Egypt as this thing, but actually it spanned. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thousands of years. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Anywho, I won't go on about that for much longer because I can and I shouldn't. The (laughs) organiser. Speaking of being organised enough to get on to the next point in a timely fashion. Oh, the organiser. This is uh, Pratchett's little imp organiser. Bingly, bingly, bing. Bingly, bingly, bing. Which I now hear as, I keep hearing it as the Apple text tone. Ah, yes. <laughs> it's not quite, which the problem is because I never have the sound on on my phone, but I usually have the sound on on my laptop and I've still got it set that messages will come through to my laptop as well because I very rarely use text messages. Yeah. But yes, the organiser just makes me laugh. I think it's very sweet and earnest and terrible and 
relatable. Is it the the? Uh, I read it in the annotated part file, but the, the uh, pocket Newton or something like that was the. Thing he was probably parodying this is one of the pocket organizers of the early days of these things yeah pratchett was like always very having the latest tech and the latest computer and i'm assuming and finding the humor and how bad they sometimes were i'm assuming was probably given one of these as very well-meaning gift and had to jump through the hoops like uh sorry you should have said memo first yes <laughs> Which, considering how much i struggled with using siri at all on my phone relatable i enjoy it recognizing handwriting Yes, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> yep, yep, that's, that's definitely <laughs> interesting. Well, you want me to read it? In fairness, OCR can barely cope with my handwriting now. <laughs> I've never actually tried using anything that needs to try and comprehend my handwriting, and I can't imagine it would go well. Uh, some of I, it's surprisingly good these days, but yeah, much as my voice does not get on well with automatic transcription, my handwriting doesn't get on well, even if it looks, you know, it's readable. I love how much Descript refuses to understand you and tends to understand me very well. It's quite offensive. Um, <laughs> I can only assume it's because, I don't know, I talk quite fast and I'm not as uh, well-spoken as you as in I don't enunciate, enunciate as well. Yeah, You and your theatre kiddery. I mean, I was a theatre kid as well, but it's just been a very long time. <laughs> yeah, with me it seems to have stuck, like a bad smell. <laughs> And the organiser takes me straight to the next little bit I like, which is the clock in Asnari's waiting room. The slightly irregular tick-tock. Against all horological tradition. God, I love the word horological. Yeah, me too, yeah. I I, I mean, clocks fascinate me, like the inner workings of clockwork and things. Yeah, clocks are pretty cool. Clocks are pretty cool. We'll probably get into clocks in another book. We will, but also, God, I hate the sound. (laughs) I am... Just that whole dimension (laughs) (laughs) oh no it's really weird like i need noise constantly you know what i'm like for the whole input thing and even when i fall asleep i prefer having a podcast or something on Mm -hmm. i I got the best sleep i had in ages the other night Uh, because of the way my flat's designed and the flat roof and the fact that it's all windows if it's Mm -hmm. hammering it down with rain in my flat it's very loud oh yeah and that noise knocks me out it's really really soothing for me raining when you're in a tent is very good as well Oh, yes. Blast but yeah, the sound of a ticking clock. No, I had to uh, crash on my sister's sofa a couple of weeks ago. She has a clock that ticks in her living room. And it's it makes just the tiniest little whir before the tick. Oh, oh, no. Yeah, I know what you mean. No, that's no good. It drove me mad. Yeah. Um, I always have a pair of earplugs with me. Mm. But then I wouldn't be able to fall asleep because it'd be too quiet. Oh, sure. Um, <laughs> telling on myself here. So I do use earplugs to go to sleep, but as you, I cannot be alone with my thoughts for a second. So what I do is I have my phone under my pillow playing a podcast, but I have earplugs in, but I can just about hear the podcast. <laughs> Excellent. Luckily, Jack is very heavy sleeper. <laughs> <laughs> yes, sleeping alone has its benefits. Uh, yeah, I think that was all the little bits. Should we talk about the bigger things? Yeah, see, this is almost a little bit as well, because I think a lot of our big talking points were saving for... um second and third yeah because lots of cool stuff about golem lore and history and robotics and all kinds of unlikely stuff but there was just so much set up in this one so i've just kind of noted as i was going along just how many like niche specialists this book has like speaking about you know being info dumped about the most obscure stuff this is the book for that and you can tell that pratchett did quite a lot of just very niche reading for little lines and things um so we've got tubal the religious expert. Mm. Uh, and book specifically. 
Yeah. Uh, Old holy texts. Yes. And his dying wish, his dying wish was for the golem to tidy up the books. Not like, tell my sister I love her or whatever. Um, Tidy the books up, please. Please tidy up the books. And then he could die reasonably content, which was nice. Mm. Um, (coughs) Mr. Hopkinson, the dwarf bread expert, uh, again, concerned only with bread when dead. But um, Mm -hmm. he was cool with his like, experimental historical cooking which is actually a whole like field of speciality which i'm sure oh my you God, know, I know about it's one of my favorites yeah that see that's a rabbit hole for you one day um now i now you can tie it very tenuously to the podcast um, <laughs> <laughs> but i mean that kind of thing is how we rediscovered roman concrete recently um obviously yeah. not cooking cooking but that kind of stuff so that's very niche and i'll bet pratchett did a lot of reading about you know bread and weird weapons and stuff for this. Then you've got uh, Croissant Rouge Persuivant, the heraldry expert, um, who I like very much, almost entirely for this line, laugh, I nearly started. I love that, <laughs> especially because it, um, it's obviously a play on laugh, I nearly something else. Yeah. Uh, but there is, sorry, this is a mild tangent. There's okay. a very silly Peter Cook and Dudley Moore song that Neil Gaiman covers on the um, An Evening with Neil Gaiman and Amanda Palmer album. Okay. And it's um, a very silly song about a man falling off a roof, but it's something about Neil Gaiman singing the line, laugh, we nearly shat. (laughs) 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 We had not had so much fun since grandma died or auntie caught her left tit in the mangle. Goodness me, I don't know this song and now I really feel like I must link in the show notes, dear listeners. I will link in the show notes. It's, it's, I mean, it's a very funny song anyway. Obviously, it's Peter Cook and Dudley Moore, but there's something about Neil Gaiman singing it in like a beautiful old church. Dearie me. Um, anyway, yeah. But anyway, yeah, sorry. Quite Laugh, croissant. I nearly started. <laughs> but yeah, Question Rouge is very, again, he's a very niche specialist. Uh, he knows all about these various animals and what they're meant to and you know, the ridiculous language of heraldry with the rampant and the... the couchant. Couchant, thank you. I was about to say savant. <laughs> I was like, no, that's not quite right. Um, <laughs> and then, you know, in the same buildings, you've got King of Dragons, who, like Edward de Eth, is the lineage expert, the class snob, the, um, oh, I can trace everybody's family tree back a million years. And yeah. again, that's very special. A genealogist, that's what. Um, very special kind of nerd. And uh, yeah, a bit eugenics around the ears. And then we've got igneous who's a clay expert like again we've just got this very niche like tradesman who can tell us all about crank and like you can look at a bit of clay and say oh yeah this is that or the other um which by the way i think is another sherlock reference um it is different types of dirt right yeah and there's the whole thing with cheery and uh you know if i'm saying i want someone who can look at the ashtray and tell what kind of cigars i'm smoking and cheery names them and yeah (laughs) well i mean they're there (laughs) yeah um and yes just for the like niche speciality special mention uh nobby is historical reenactor because of course he is <gasps> nobby's hobbies sorry i didn't yeah. even think about that rhyming until i said it out loud becomes a bit of a thing throughout yeah. the book i'm not sure if we've already had him morris dancing or if that comes up in a later book no but we've had him getting very passionate about weaponry yeah we have oh yes uh, it's better to light a flamethrower than curse the darkness exactly so <laughs> um the fact that nobby always has some sort of fun little background life outside the watch yeah um which also special meant to colon studying yeah. animal husbandry considering life on the farm yes I, again it's something i didn't know according to annotate pratchett that means like life on the farm means killed in the course of action so it may have been a slight threat from his wife oh 
No, I've never heard that as a slang thing. I'm guessing that's... Oh, is that from Unsafe Practice? Or that might have been the uh, fandom dot whatever. Um, Yeah, anyway. Yeah. Mm. Uh, yeah. I'm assuming that's a somewhat historical bit of slang now. I guess so, yeah. Um, Yeah. So what did you have down as a talking point? Oh, um, how amazingly cinematic this book is. Um, And I don't know if part of it's just, obviously, I'm kind of bearing it in mind because there's recently been an adaptation-ish loosely inspired by with the watch that I think about how I would adapt this book and if I was going to do my brief pitch for the BBC of if I was given the watch to adapt please give me a tv show would actually be to start with Feet of Clay as the first series and throughout the throughout it kind of flashback to the events of Guards Guards and Men at Arms to give some context Mm. Um, especially Angua showing Cheery around the city you could put in a lot about how Angua started out in the watch yeah. Um, so little things like that, but just looking at how great this would be as a screen thing. I mean, you have we'd already talked about the uh, amazing Discworld opening, but if you can imagine that as a thing and watching the seasons tr- pass by on the disc, that's such mm. a unique way to look. If you can imagine it done well and not the cheap CGI yeah. <laughs> opening turtle from the uh, Cosgrove Hall adaptations. Yeah. <laughs> And you've got, it made it hard to write the summary because I tend to bullet point everything as it goes along and then try and put it together into a summary. But around uh, the time Carrot and Angua are interrupting the robbery and it's going back and forth with, you know, the sort of um, Cheery being introduced to the watch and the weird little meeting with the person Mm -hmm. who owns the golem and Vimes going about his day and going to the College of Heralds and all of it interspersed going back to that robbery thing. It's this really snappy back and forth that you can see that almost exactly as is in the book going on screen. Yeah. Yeah, um, no, it would translate really well, actually. The centre's vision thing as well, the werewolf synesthesia you mentioned earlier, like if you can imagine how you would try and communicate that on screen and the mm. amazing visuals of it and the patches of colour you'd use around carrot to try and give off this smell of soap. Yeah. And then also the little running gags that we were talking about, one of the the, the, vamp- the background vampire... Yeah. <laughs> Like, if you can imagine that as an Easter egg, if you did this as like an eight-episode series, mm. at least once per episode, you walk through the watch house and that vampire's there again because he's been at the working at the pencil factory yeah. or been sunglasses testing for the opticians. <laughs> Bless his cottons. <laughs> and what I'm really saying is it's, once again, it's a very well-written book. It's really well-paced, but specifically this, these background sight gags, the way it snaps back and forth, especially because I think I mentioned... I can't remember if it was on mic or not. I, I'm re-watching Archer right now and it does that thing for almost every scene change, it starts oh, as yeah, if it's yeah, the yeah. conversation continuing on, but it's yeah, the different yeah. characters. And it's usually, and it becomes like very funny because it's obviously implying terrible things in these scene changes. Yeah. Uh, but it's kind of almost happening here. And you have Carrot and Angra, and then you cut to Vines and Carrot and Angra, and you cut to something else, and you can see it doing that. So, I don't know. It made me really enjoy the book more because I was thinking about how much fun it would be on screen and how well-paced the comedy is. And, yeah, so there's some fun, uh, like, visual through points as well, like the fog I really enjoy. Um, yeah. Another thing about Pratchett and the weather, the fact that the, the fog coming and going and people referencing the fog and everything would be very cool and cinematic, couldn't it? Um, yeah, you can kind of do this bleak detective not quite film noir because a lot of this actually takes place in the daytime apart from the murders. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, um, which is a nice change for the watch. Yes. <laughs> but yeah, it, it works as a nice kind of tone shift, doesn't it? Adding the, the 
you know what I'm saying, Joanna. <laughs> no, I understand what you mean. Um, also, like, I just want to see the Royal College of Heralds on screen. You want to see the little, little, elef- not elephants, what do I mean? Hippos. hippos. You want to see the hippos and the tooth's little eye and, yeah. Roderick and Keith. Yes. The one bit I wouldn't enjoy very much, I think, would be seeing people's head stoved in with dwarf bread, but what can you do? Well, I feel like you'd carefully shoot it so you're not actually seeing any stoving. Okay, yeah, no, that, that would be Not better. like full CSI gore. Oh, and you could have like little flashbacks to like uh, the revolution and things when they're talking about Stoneface. Yeah. Oh, yeah, like a reenactment thing, yeah. but you could do it with Nobby playing the king. So he's supposed to be playing the king in the reenactment. Oh, no, yeah. Not well, you know what I was thinking, get... but yes. <laughs> well, you know when you get shows where you get flashbacks, but you get the actors playing the characters mm-hmm. in the flashback? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm now trying to think of an example and absolutely can't. No, I know what you mean. So it must have happened at least a couple times, yeah. <laughs> I know Scrubs did that kind of thing a lot. Scrubs yeah. did all sorts of nonsense. They did. Anyway, that was that was my point. It's just that this is a really a book that would translate to screen incredibly well because it's so well-paced cool. and funny and I enjoy it. And do you have an obscure reference video for me, Francine? I do. Um, the bit where Cherry is taking lots of photos of the dead gentleman's eye, mm-hmm. uh, which I quite like the imp was implying she was some kind of pervert like for it. <laughs> you fucking weirdo. All right. Um, <laughs> anyway, this is like um, in Discworld, this piece of fantasy i guess obviously is true that uh they can still see the the red points of light in his eye but in round world on round world it was a common myth yeah i'd say myth a common belief that in victorian times especially that the last image a person saw would be recorded uh, before dying would be recorded in their eye and therefore we could use it for you know finding out what happened to somebody um it does have a surprising root in science uh so Quoting from Wikipedia here, apologies. Uh, much of the scientific work was performed by the German... Oh, it's called optography, by the way. Much ah. of the scientific work on optography was performed by the German physiologist Wilhelm Kuhner, Kuhner? whatever. Inspired by Franz Christian Boll's Boll's discovery of rod, rhodopsin. Why don't I try and read these aloud first? <laughs> um, which is like a photosensitive pigment um, in the rods of the retina. Mm-hmm. So um, similar kind of chemistry to how we get photographs. Yeah. Uh, under ideal circumstances, that can be fixed like a photographic negative. And right. in rabbits, for instance, under really ideal scientific circumstances, they could like shine this bright light through a window, like a barred window, into a rabbit's eyes, and then like behead the rabbit right away, and then develop this eyeball cut in half, and like you could see the bars from the window. Wow. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but obviously this got massively simplified in like popular myth. Um, it did. It never did work on human eyes because the, si- the size of the fovea centralis, which is the focal point. Um, At the back of the eye. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. much smaller in people. But it was used even in the, in the police in England, for instance, in um, 1888. Mary Jane Kelly. Mary Jane Kelly was the victim of uh, Jack the Ripper who got I, her eyeballs I, eyeball at. was looked at yeah yeah interesting uh, didn't work unsurprisingly yeah yeah <laughs> but yeah so that was a obscure reference finial i People enjoyed believe that. that policemen used it it was i think Silly. never very widely adopted but good 
it was enough in the folk culture of like, yeah, this happens. But, yeah, and it still kind does. of is, isn't it? Like, I think we've all heard it. Yeah, I don't think we all think of it as no. completely factual now. Yeah. But poor little rabbits. Poor little right. rabbits, yes. You'll never believe what scientists have done to rabbits over the centuries, Joanna. I, I much... can imagine. <laughs> it wasn't too bad, that one. <laughs> anyway, I believe that's everything we have to say on part one of Feet of Clay. Yep. Possibly everything that could ever be said ever. Yes, definitely. And some that. things that couldn't. Oh, no. <laughs> dun, dun, da. We will be back next Monday with part two of Feet of Clay, which goes from, uh, starts on page 132 with too late. Angua remembered why she avoided the slaughterhouse district at this kind of, at this time of month and ends page 256. Um, we can push off back to the yard, job done and dusted. Okay. Mm. We'll remind you of these uh, start and finish times on the Twitters. Will we? Speaking of, if I remember. Mm -hmm. Speaking of, (laughs) uh, until next week, you can follow us on Instagram at the True Shall Make You Fret, on Twitter at Make You Fret Pod, on Facebook at the True Shall Make You Fret. You can join our subreddit community, r slash ttsmyf. You can email us your thoughts, queries, castles, albatrosses, and snacks at the True Shall Make You Fret Pod at gmail.com. And if you'd like to support us financially, head on over to patreon.com forward slash the True Shall Make You Fret. And for a cheeky bit of self-promotion, for all of October, I will be writing and releasing a poem a day. So follow me at Joanna Hagen if you like poetry. They're good poems. I like poems. They might be good poems. I'm not making any promises. And in the meantime. And in the meantime. Dear listener, don't let us detain you. Why can't you be conscious and entertaining yourself ever? Are you talking to me or the dog? Oh, both. No, not you. You entertain yourself pretty well. You just need three inputs.